Chapter Eleven, Part One: The Making of a Nation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Making of a Nation: The Beginnings of Israel's History by Charles Foster Kent. Chapter Eleven, Part One: The Early Training of a Race. Israel's Experience in the Wilderness and East of the Jordan. Numbers 11 through 14, 21, 21 through 31, 32, 39 through 42. Parallel readings. Historical Bible 1, 204 through 29. Edward Jinks, History of Politics, Chapter 3. Then as they journeyed from the mountain of Jehovah, the ark of Jehovah went before them to seek out a halting place for them. And whenever the ark started, Moses would say, Arise, O Jehovah, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let those who hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he would say, Return, O Jehovah, to the ten thousand of thousands of Israel. Numbers 10, 33, 35, 36. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, hovereth over her young, taketh them, beareth them upon her wings so the lord his god did lead him and there was no strange god with him deuteronomy thirty two eleven before man made us citizens great nature made us men lowell oh east is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet till earth and sky stand presently at god's great judgment seat but there is neither east nor west, border, no breed, nor birth, when two strong men stand face to face, though they come from the ends of the earth. Rudyard Kipling The measure of the success of our lives can only lie in the stature of our manhood, in the growth in unworldliness and in the moral elevation of our inner self. Henry Drummond The Wilderness Environment the accounts regarding the experiences of the Israelites in the wilderness lack the unity which characterizes the records of the earlier and later periods. They simply give occasional pictures of the life of the Hebrew fugitives. They must be interpreted in the light of the peculiar background of the wilderness and of the nomadic life which flourishes there today, as it did in the past. The Hebrews, on escaping from Egypt, entered the south country, which extends seventy miles from the rocky hills of Judah southward until it merges into the barren desert. During the later Roman period, the northern and northwestern portions of this territory were partially reclaimed by agriculturalists, but in early periods, as today, it was preeminently the home of wandering nomadic tribes. This wild, treeless region is divided by rocky ranges running from east to west. Parallel to these are deep, hot, and for the most part, waterless valleys. In the springtime, these valleys are covered by a sparse vegetation. From a few perennial springs flow waters that irrigate the immediately surrounding land, but they soon lose themselves in the thirsty desert. During the summer the vegetation disappears almost entirely, and the struggle for subsistence becomes intense. 
the nature of the country makes it necessary for its inhabitants constantly to journey from one pasture land and spring to another the home of the hebrews at this time like that of the modern arabs was the tent the stories that have come down from this period suggest the experiences through which they passed the constant insistent problem in this region was and is how to secure adequate supplies of food and water during the greater part of the year the chief food of the people is the milk and curds supplied by their herds at times however these fail to meet the needs even of the modern bedouin inhabitants of this south country they then gather the gum that exudes from the tamarisk tree or the lichens from the rocks from these they make a coarse flour and bread which keeps them alive until the winter rains again bring their supply of water and pasturage some scholars hold that this coarse food was the manna of the biblical accounts they argue that later generations familiar with the barrenness of the wilderness and believing that the hebrews at this time numbered many thousands naturally concluded and reported that their ancestors were miraculously fed at certain periods also the meagre fare of the desert dweller is supplemented by the quails which he is able to capture and these are a welcome relief to his monotonous diet about the perennial springs which gush forth from the barren rock there also grew up stories of a miraculous provision for the needs of jehovah's people for all springs and especially those in the desert were regarded by the ancients as miracles even in more fertile lands the greeks reared beside such springs temples to the god whom they thought of as thus signally revealing himself in the deeper sense each of these early hebrew stories is historical for they all record the fundamental thought and belief that through this strenuous painful period even as in later crises in their history jehovah was guiding his people and giving them not only food and water but also that training in the school of danger and privation which was essential for their highest development even more insistent than the constant struggle for food and water were the dangers that came from the hostile tribes which already occupied this much contested territory for the possession of the springs and pasture lands they fought with the energy and craft that characterize the bedouin tribes today hence to the hebrews fresh from the fertile fields of egypt their life in the wilderness represented constant hardship privation suffering and danger influence of the nomadic life upon israel's character and ideals the wilderness left a stamp upon hebrew character and life that may be traced even today in the later descendants of that race it tightened their muscles and gave them that physical virility which has enabled them to survive even amidst the most unfavorable conditions it taught them how to subsist on the most meagre food supply and to thrive where the citizen of a more prosperous land would inevitably starve it is probable that in their early nomadic experiences the hebrews acquired those migratory habits which intensified by unwanted vicissitudes have carried them to almost every civilized land in the wilderness they also learned the art of nomadic warfare which to win victories depended not so much upon open attack as upon strategy the common dangers of the wilderness life tightened the racial and religious bonds that held them together 
Only by the closest union could they resist the perils that beset them. Upon the complete devotion of each man to the interest of the tribe hung his fate, as well as that of the community as a whole. Hence arose that devotion to race, that readiness to avenge every wrong and to protect each individual, even if it cost the lifeblood of the tribe, which is illustrated in many of the stories that come from this early period. How far has this racial characteristic survived? In a community thus closely bound together, the morality of each individual was guarded with a jealousy unknown in more settled, prosperous communities. Thus, for example, adultery from the first appears to have been punished by public stoning. How far has this characteristic survived to the glory of the Jewish race? The tribal organization also cherished the freedom of each individual. His voice was heard in its council, and his rights were carefully protected. The free atmosphere of the desert tolerated no despotism, and the sheik was the servant of all. These fundamental conceptions of government persisted even when, under the influence of a new agricultural environment, the Hebrews established the kingship and monarchy. It was the struggle between these inherited democratic ideals and those of the neighbors who were ruled by despots that ultimately disrupted the Hebrew kingdom and called forth those great champions of liberty and social justice, the prophets of the Assyrian period. It was this same democratic atmosphere that made possible the work of those prophets, who openly denounced the crimes of king and people. How far have the Jews throughout all their history allied themselves with democratic movements? the influence of the wilderness life upon israel's faith the pressure of constant danger intensified the sense of dependence upon a power outside and above themselves it led them to look constantly to jehovah as their sole guide and deliverer a continued attitude crystallized into a habit hence throughout their troubled career the hebrews have been conscious of the presence of god and have found in him their defender and personal friend, as has no other people in human history. As later generations meditated on the perils of the wilderness through which their ancestors passed, they naturally felt that only under the immediate guidance of a divine power could they have escaped. They were familiar with the way in which the caravans travel through the desert. In front of the leader is borne aloft a brazier filled with coals. From this smoldering fire there arises by day a column of smoke that, in the clear air of the desert, can be easily seen afar by any who may straggle behind. At night these glowing coals seem like a pillar of fire, telling of the presence of their leader and protector. With the same vivid imagery, according to some interpreters, the later Hebrews pictured the march of their ancestors through the wilderness, and thereby symbolized the belief that Jehovah was then present and that through his prophet Moses he was personally guiding his people. How far have these Old Testament narratives been thus interpreted by modern Western readers? Does it change their spiritual significance to seek to learn their origin and real literary character? Are there still to be found, often in humble walks of life, earnest Christians who have similar deep spiritual experiences and describe them with the same vivid imagery and concreteness?
is the value of our conception of god's presence and activity in human history deepened and strengthened or lessened by the thought that in the past even as today he accomplishes ends by natural rather than contra-natural methods are the faith and institutions of nations and individuals developed most through special revelations or through ordinary constant daily training and experience is it not true that to us all there come at times experiences akin to those that underlie these wonderful narratives end of chapter eleven part one recording by selena arter